Open with me in your Bibles to the book of First, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter three. I really appreciate that previous message. Now I want you to understand something. The shawls are, by the way, Wisconsin German background. Okay. My my. Uh, Previous generations, my grandfather was born in Wisconsin. We go Wisconsin background all the way back to the Civil War. Um, I had a, a great, 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 great grandfather somehow that was involved in the capture of Jefferson Davis. One of the things you have to understand a little bit about that background is we tend to be a bit stoic, you know? That, that whole background, you're not, you know, not so emotional. Now, my wife's family, there's this French-Canadian kind of background, and they're very expressive people. My family, can, we can all sit in a room and not say anything and really w enjoy one another's presence. <laughs> and so I understand that there are different people and different personalities in the different expressions of emotion. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, those that worship me, or worship God, should worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. And when you truly grasp what the Bible is saying about who God is, you cannot help but have a response in your heart. One of the things that God has really done with our congregation has transformed us through the observance of the Lord's table. A number of years ago, I was burdened about the idea of just tacking on the Lord's table at the end of a, of a service. And so I began the practice of taking an entire service to observe the Lord's table. And I'll pre I preach through the whole thing. I just use it as a big object lesson message. And we go through the whole thing. But as you begin to grasp the sacrifice of Christ at the Lord's table, that's, it, it, our folks weep to the Lord's table. But, but there's something else. I, and I, I really appreciate the idea of weeping, but there's also joy. There ought, to, there ought to be smiles and joy and happiness on people's faces. I understand, you know, the, the, you, you know, you get kind of frustrated sometimes when you, you have the choir that sings like this. Now, I understand that there's some people, they biologically can't make a smile and sing at the same time. There are some of you that are like that. It's just the, the muscles don't work that way. But at least there should be some people up there who are thinking about what they're saying. And not just thinking about the notes. And then as we, we begin to grasp, there's a response. I, it, it, we will just, at the end of observing the Lord's table, and think about what Jesus has done for us. The natural response is to sing, Thank you, Lord. For saving my soul. You can sing it with me. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, 
giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus because he I sometimes wonder if we should not put our song service at the end of the message. When our hearts are really prepared by the word to respond to the truth. And of course, that's what I want to come and I want to talk to you about this morning. And I think I'll get you out in time for lunch. The word of God. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. How does the rest of it go? Thy word is truth. You cannot be sanctified apart from the word of God. Romans chapter 12, that wonderful passage of scripture that sometimes preachers ignore because they think it's been talked about too much, but it can't really be talked about too, too much. I beseech you therefore, God, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not transformed, right? Be not transformed. We're, we're not supposed to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And so we come to this moment of of surrender to the moment where we say, okay, God, here I am. I've been saved. You've transformed. You're, you're doing a work in my life. I want to be surrendered to you. Okay, from this point, what now? And the key at this point is to be transformed by the Word of God. You say, well, okay, well, there's the Word of God and there's the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Shaw, don't you believe in Holy Spirit-empowered sanctification? I, I do believe in Holy Spirit-empowered sanctification. But I want you to understand the Holy Spirit of God does not operate distinctly from the Word of God. You say, how do I know that? Well, well, take a look. Take a look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 16. We're going to come back. And look at some of the other parts of this passage of Scripture a little bit earlier. All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. In fact, there is a specific person of the Trinity who is the primary operating force in the inspiration of Scripture. Peter said, holy men of God spake as they were moved by... This is the word of the Spirit. And the Spirit does not speak constant, uh, in, in conflict with himself. And so we want to, I want to spend some time here talking about the importance of the word of God in sanctification because there are people who will pretend like the Spirit is speaking to them 
contrary to the word. We have some men in here who have been pastors for a number of years. They've had this conversation. Some person will come to them from the congregation, maybe a husband and wife, together coming to them and they say, Pastor, we have decided we're going to get a divorce. Now, oftentimes that they will come long after they've made the decision. They should have been coming, you know, years before. And they come after they've already decided they're going to do something that is clearly contrary to the Word of God. But here's what they'll say. They'll say, listen, we think it's better for the kids. Because they hear us fighting and arguing all the time, and they hear us going through all of this stuff, and so we really believe that it would just be better for the kids for us to go ahead and do this. And then they'll give their second reason. And we think that it's better, you know, the, the husband will come and say, I, I really think it's better for my wife that we get a divorce because, you know, this is not good for her. It's, it's creating all kinds of tension and, uh, you, know, you know, problems in her life. And so, I, you know, I think it's better for her. Bless his heart. <laughs> and then he'll say, it's now starting to get down to the truth, and I think it's good for me. Because I really need to do what's, what's best for me. And then the last one, he'll throw in the zinger. And I prayed about it. And what he is doing is something that is desperately wicked. He is putting words in God's mouth. I was in a homiletics class years ago. And the teacher was teaching the class. And it was teaching, teaching about the preaching the Word of God and making sure that when we preach, we preach the Word. And he said, the last thing you want to do is get to heaven and have God look at you and say, why did you say I said that? This is his word. I hear folks say, well, the Holy Spirit is leading me to do such and such. He doesn't lead you contrary to his word. The Holy Spirit is not schizophrenic. He has spoken to us in his word. His, the Spirit of God directs us to his word. The Holy Spirit directs us to specific places in his word to find his will. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand his word, but he never leads us contrary to his word. Now, let's just, a little bit of a review here. Three types of sanctification. Positional, progressive, per ultimate sanctification. Two aspects, health and maturity. I want you to see the role of the Word of God in those two aspects of sanctification. Spiritual health and spiritual maturity. We're going to spend our time just for the next few moments in two passages of Scripture. The first one is 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the second one is Psalm 1. And let's talk about, first of all, the role of the Spirit of God with regard to my maturity. Now, when we talk about maturity, the idea is knowledge, doctrine, understanding, the things I need to know in order to live the Christian life. By, by the way, Bible doctrine is important. 
When you have a church that has no common understanding of Bible doctrine, you don't really have a church. You can't possibly have unity. We bought the church property that we're on um, in the early 1990s. There was a church on the property prior to that. It was a non-denominational, um, I, I guess if they still exist, a theologically liberal church. When there was this little building on the property and it had six windows and in the six windows were six uh, pieces of stained glass, one for each of the major world religions. So Islam, you know, all these various things, all of these, these stained glass. And the, the, the folks that were there had told us that the pastor would get up on Sunday and talk about the, the strengths and, uh, of, of each of all of those major world religions. One of the ladies in the neighborhood came to visit with me long, not long after we moved on to the church property. By the way, the church asked if they could take that stained glass with them when they left. And we said, by all means, please take it with you. <laughs> I don't know what they did with it. They were going under. The reason that they were going under is because nobody believed anything in common. This lady had come. She came and talked to me. She began asking me questions about things that we believed. And she had this, this you could tell, this real defensiveness up. And as we talked, she began to calm down and to get more comfortable. And she said, Praise the Lord, there's a Christ-centered church on this property. She said, I have been praying for a Christ-centered church to, to come to this property. It was in her neighborhood. She said, I came to talk to the previous pastor of the church that was on this property. And she said, I, she said as I was talking to him, I, I, he began to, to explain the things that they believed. And she said, um, she said, oh, finally, I said, oh, so you're not a Christ-centered church. He said, absolutely, we're a Christ-centered church. Some of us believe that Jesus is the cosmic Christ. Some of us believe that he was a great prophet. Some of us believe that he's God in the flesh. Some of us believe that he's this great historical figure. We're a Christ-centered church. The problem was that they believed all different kinds of things. They, they believed in very many different types of Christs. The Bible is our source and it is our commitment to the truth of the word of God and it is our commitment to, to be obedient to the commands of the word of God that bind us together as a people and as a church. So let's take a look. The Bible is here for maturity. We take a look at verse 15. I want to start here. That from a child thou hast, no let's go back to verse 14. Paul is speaking to Peter here, or excuse me, to Timothy here. And as he's speaking to Timothy, he's coming to the last days of his life. And these are his last words. He says, you know, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves. And he goes through the covetous boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parent, uh, parents, uh, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Uh, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Goes through all of these things going to happen in the last days. And he says, now Timothy, I want you to stick with it. I want you to be faithful. I don't want you to turn away. I want, to stay, I want you to stay with the truth. And how are you going to do that? And he reminds of two things. I think it's really fascinating. But continue thou in the things which you have learned of, or learned and uh, learned and been assured of. First of all, he says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. 
Well, in the context, who is that? In the context, he's saying, remember me. You say, how do I know that's what he's talking about? Well, look at verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but through all of them the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer, suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. He says, look at me, remember me, remember that this faith, these things, things that I've taught you, I lived. They worked. They were manifest in my life. You, there, there is the truth of the word made real in the life of the Apostle Paul. But it isn't just Paul he's talking about. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. We go back to chapter 1 of this book. And he had a mother and a grandmother who through the difficult circumstances of their life and with loving consistency taught the word of God to Timothy. So it's the word, but it's the word taught by people that live it. You wanna ruin the word for your children? Teach it, but don't live it. You will destroy it. You will inoculate them to the Word of God. But when you combine a faithful servant of God with a deep commitment to the Word of God, you have something that is dynamic. And notice what he says, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We have a man in our church and for most of his adult life, he's been a member of the Gideons. You know who the Gideons are? These guys that go and put the Bible in hotel rooms and schools and hand them out to military personnel. And they've been, their ministry has been focused on one particular thing for almost 100 years, and that is just putting Bibles in the hands of people. And it's quite amazing the stories that they have. You know, one of the most common places for a person to commit suicide is a hotel room. And they have on record story after story after story of a man that goes to a hotel room with the revolver laying in his lap and just before he raises it to his head, he opens the drawer and there's a Bible. And he decides just at the last possible moment, just because why, why not, opens the Word of God and reads the Word of God and the Holy Spirit guides him as he reads the Word of God to the testimony of the Word regarding salvation and he bows his head and trusts Christ and they have hundreds after hundreds after hundreds of stories of people getting saved simply because of the testimony of the Word of God. the knowledge of salvation. You have to understand salvation. Oh, you salvation through faith. It says, and that from a child there was known the scriptures, which are make thee wise under salvation. Through what? Through faith. 
with his, which is in Christ Jesus. We get, the, so the Bible helps us with the, our maturity, that, that, that being born into the family of God, salvation through faith, that faith founded in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But the Bible is also gives us what we have, have need for with regard to Christian living. Notice what it says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's perfect. Um, it's God breathed. It's truth. This is one of the reasons why we don't believe in the errancy of Scripture. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Why? Well, because it's God-breathed. The Bible says, thy word is truth. You say, well, you know, but it, it, and there, there will be the, those folks that say, but, you know, it's the, the details. You know, it's, it's just the main point of the word. God isn't so focused on um, scientific truth or her- historic facts. Uh, can, I, can I just ask you a question? If I fudge on the facts in the story, when I know they're wrong, am I lying or telling the truth? You say, you say well, you know, but you're, you're an imperfect human being and sometimes you remember things falsely, but God never remembers things falsely. God always gets it. God always knows. And for any detail of the word of God to be wrong means that he is intentionally making it that way. And so we have the truth of the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. But wonderful thing is, it's profitable. It's profitable. Now, imagine yourself. They don't do this now. Used to be, when I was, my children were younger. On Christmas Eve, I have spent some Christmas Eves late at night assembling a bicycle. Now you can go down to Walmart and buy them pre-assembled. It's brilliant. But anyway. But you, you know, so, so here's, what, here's the way we do it. You know, most men, right? You, you, because you had a bicycle as a kid, so you know how to put a bicycle together. And so you put all the bicycle together, and you have it all ready to go, and then you look down at the floor, and there are like 10 parts that are still left there. And so, and so then you know what we do. Then we read the directions. And then you take it all back apart and put the parts in that you forgot and you put it all back together. But just imagine, okay, now now I need the directions. So I go in and I open up the directions and begin to look at the directions and I find in the box with the bicycle directions for a radio flyer wagon. And so I call at midnight and, I, and miraculously, I get someone. I say, you left the wrong directions in the box. They say those directions are perfectly accurate. Well, they, they, sure, they might be all correct, but they're not what I need. I need the directions for the bicycle. One of the wonderful things about the Word of God is it is exactly what we need. It is profitable. Here I am. 2,000 years, nearly 2,000 years after the close of the New Testament canon, and I'm preaching the Word of God as it applies to the hearts of human beings and transforms and changes lives, and it applies just as quickly, just as fervently, just as helpfully today as it did the day that it was written. For doctrine... For teaching, that's what doctrine means, teaching. 
Doctrine is truth, simply teaching. The Bible is what we're supposed to teach. Th this is really important. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who should judge the quick and the dead and disappearing in his kingdom. Preach my opinion. No. Preach the what? Preach the word. Why? It's the truth. My opinion is not the truth. I was 24 years old, brand new pastor preaching through the book of Ephesians. We were expecting our first baby when we started the church. Christopher was not born until December. We started the church in August. I got to Ephesians chapter 6 before we got to his birthday. Now, you know what Ephesians chapter 6 is about? Parents. I mean, I'm going to preach. Here I am. I'm going to preach to this brand new congregation on the subject of parenting, and I had no children yet. Now, that's an interesting thing. Of course, we know most of the best parents in the world are the ones who do not have children yet. <laughs> it was totally intimidating. Now, I had the blessing of growing up in a godly Christian home. And I will tell you, my, my parents are godly people. They love the Lord deeply, and I, I, don't, I don't think I could have had better Christian parents. From the time that I grew, from, the, from my earliest memories, family devotions, talking about the Word of God, the Word of God in all parts of our life, that was part of my family growing up, and I was a deacon's kid. But here I am going to preach the Word with no particular practical experience. And I thought, well, this is what I'm just going to have to do, just preach what the Word says. You know, just, okay, I can't speak from a point of personal authority, so I'm just going to have to preach what the Word says. What I didn't know is now after having five children, I'm in more danger now than I was then. Because there is a tendency now to think, well, here are the things that I've learned, here are the things I did poorly. No, here's what the Word says. It's for doctrine, for rebuke. It, the Bible shows us where we're wrong. It points out our error for correction. It shows us how to straighten that out and how to get right. For instructing, to shows us how to go on, to live the life that we should. All of our sanctification is wrapped up in the Word. That, that what? What's the purpose of all of this? For, for correction, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, exactly what God wants him to be, completely, truly furnished, unto all good works. The path to spiritual maturity is through the Word. From this verse, we get a doctrine that is an important New Testament concept, and that is called the sufficiency of the Word of God. There is no truth that you need beyond the truth that is here. And that is an incredible idea. It's sufficient. It's complete. It's completely qualified. We don't believe in further inspiration or uh, f further God speaking the Word of God further. It, it is, he has given us everything that we need in this wonderful, timeless book. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to understand it. But He's given us what we need in the Word. It is sufficient. The Bible is all that we need 
for the things that we need to grow and be like Him. That, those are the things that we're talking about at spiritual maturity. Knowledge, abilities, choices, wisdom, to make the choices that we need. However, the Bible is also essential, that's maturity, the Bible is also essential for our biblical health. And I want to turn to Psalm 1, and I want you to see in this particular passage of Scripture about the importance of spiritual health. <laughs> Blessed, happy, joyful, at peace. This word happy speaks of all the good, wonderful types of responses that we could have in our life. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. It's an interesting thing with the Hebrew poetry. It's, first of all, it starts with you're walking along with him. You, know, you kind of join together on the way. Next thing you know, you're standing, having the conversation. Next thing you know, you're sitting in their seat. By the way, who sits in the scorner's seat the scorner. And so he says here, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, scornful, but what? His delight is in the, the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Um, the Bible is intended to be God's replacement for the counsel, fellowship, and friendship of the world. It is supposed to become our new source of delight. What makes you happy? What do you like to spend some things doing? Brother Jim isn't in here, is he? He's a baseball fan, isn't he? I think he is a baseball. He's a Cubs guy. I am sure that there's a sense in which the Cubs give him a certain, most of the time, a certain sense of delight. I grew up in Phoenix, and so I, I just, basketball, I just was a basketball fan. And so I have been, sadly, a Suns fan all my life. They're horrible right now. But there is a sense of delight I have in that. There, but there is also, as a lost person, or a backslidden person in the world, there are certain things in the world that give you a sense of delight. The entertainment of the world, the music of the world, big deal now in the world is the food of the world, the decorating of the world, the fashions of the world. And I'm not even talking about things that are necessarily immodest, just the stuff. We're supposed to find our delight, but his delight is what? In the law of the Lord. In other words, this book is not supposed to be something that I drudgingly get up in the morning and out of a sense of obligation force my eyes down the page. Try to keep myself awake. Eventually, peel the onion skin page off my face as I've fallen asleep against the page. But like the old hymn writer says, beyond the sacred page, the ideas through it, I see thee, Lord. This is not, the Bible is not just a means of information, but it is a means of fellowship with our God. 
it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, what? He, he meditates day and night. It, 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 it's a source of delight. It's a source of mental focus. Our, our mind is upon the word of God. You know, it's a wonderful thing to memorize the word, to understand passages of the word, to be able to meditate upon the word. As, I, as I, my eyes opened this morning, waking up, the word of God was on my mind. And I was just, I could lay there in bed and mentally go down through a particular passage of scripture, quoting that passage of scripture on, in my mind and meditating on it for the day. And it is a, just a source of delight. It's one of the reasons why committing the word of God to memory is so important, especially as young people, especially in high school. We had a number of years ago, our youth pastor was just trying to decide what new fundraiser he was gonna do for the kids to go to camp. Yeah, we believe in Christian camp. Christian camp is important. We used to, I used to tell the folks in our church, you know, you, because the parents will complain about the price, right? They don't want to spend that much money to send their kids to camp. But I said, I just used to tell them it's cheaper than bail. <laughs> and for some kids, it'll be the difference. And so they'd want to be raising money for camp. And we had a dear old gentleman in our church come up to us and he said this. He said, for every young person who memorizes the book of 1 John, I will pay their way to camp, but I get to set the rules. And so he set the rules. They, they, he, he trained the proctors to listen to the verses. He divided up the, the book into about eight verses at a chunk. They had to memorize at least eight verses a week. Those who listened to the verses had to face the opposite way so they could give them no visual cues. They only had a certain number of words that they could get wrong as they were quoting, I think it was five or six words. When they got to the end, they pull a chapter out of the hat. They had to be able to quote, and quote an entire chapter to finish it all. That year we had 13 kids memorize the entire book of 1 John. My son Christopher did that. He was in fourth grade. And we continued it on. By the way, that was over 20 years ago. We're still doing it today. Every year, 1 John, James, um, Ephesians, Colossians. We take entire books. They did Psalm 119. You want a tough one to memorize? Memorize Psalm 119. But here's what happened with my son. Fourth grade. 5th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, 9th grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. Nine years. The equivalent of nine full books, epistle-length books of the Bible committed to memory that can be part of his daily meditation and focus and relationship with God. And it's amazing the difference the Word of God makes in the lives of people because God said, what? His, his Word will not, what? It will not return void. There is a transforming power of the Word of God as we fellowship with Him. You can't be in God's presence without Him doing something to you, transforming you. And, and one of the ways I come into the presence of God is when I, when I focus and I see Him and I listen to Him in His Word. His delight is in the law of the Lord, 
And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. <laughs> the idea of a tree planted by rivers of water. Folks in Wisconsin don't get this. We get this in Arizona. We were starting our church and Dr. E.R. Jordan came out <clears throat> to visit with us. And I was driving him through the area of the northwestern part of Phoenix. And uh, we have a lot of orange and citrus groves, you know, citrus groves in the area. And there was an area where I, saying, I was telling him, this is where I think we ought to buy a piece of property eventually. And there was an entire citrus grove that was dead. And he looked at me and he said, well, why are those trees dead? And I said, well, they're eventually going to put, you know, in the next few years, they're going to put a mall here. And so they're letting the trees die. He said, but why are they dead? I said, well, they're going to put a mall here. And so they let the trees die. He said, but I don't understand. Why are they dead? And I, what I didn't realize is he was from Pennsylvania and I was from Arizona. In Arizona, we understand if you don't water the tree, it dies. Here, you don't think about that that much. But that's the way it was there. The trees, now if they're planted by rivers of water, you go out into the desert, and if you see some trees off in the distance, you know that those trees must be by some sort of wash or some place that gets some sort of, some water at, at some point because those roots have to find water somewhere or they will not survive. We are like trees planted in the desert. There's no spiritual nourishment for us out here in this dry, dusty world. Our roots, our spiritual roots have to be planted in the Word. And then as we draw the nourishment from the Word, it produces something in our lives. You know, you can't produce fruit without having the nourishment. I, my friend uh, Mike Sproul I heard him preaching in this particular passage of Scripture. He said a lot of Christians are like trees that are trying to produce fruit, fruit apart from the water source. You know, he's just like, fruit. <laughs> a tree that is healthy and has its roots in the water will produce fruit. I used to plant trees in Arizona along the canals in order to keep the water from evaporating. Of course, what they didn't realize is the, the, the water that the trees use in order to survive is more than what evaporates, but that's a different story. You cannot be healthy without your roots constantly drawing on the water of the word, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, what, that just brings forth fruit. In a season, his leaf doesn't wither. And notice this, and whatever he does will prosper. It's a means to a relationship, source of delight, meditation, mental focus. It's a means to spiritual vitality, like a healthy tree receiving nutrients from the water and the sun, reproducing itself, remaining vital over time. We walk in God's knowledge and blessing. The ungodly who are not connected to the word are not so, but they're like what? The chaff. 
which the wind drives away. I love that ch chaff. I have a lawn. I'm one of the few people that do in Arizona. We have a lot of people who don't have lawns. They have rocks. But I have a lawn and um, so everyone, and I, do, I use a bag and bag the grass, but if you don't bag the grass within a few moments, it's sometimes just moments, um, the grass will dry up and blow away. It can be pretty dry there. We, we, can, we, we have this phenomenon that where it rains, you can see the rain falling from the clouds, but it evaporates before it hits the ground. And there are times you have the rain that's falling the clouds. It might just barely hit the sidewalk and you'll see this dot, you know, on the sidewalk go hit like that. It's gone. Dries up that fast. But we, we have our roots connected. We're not like the ungodly. He says the ungodly will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous but the Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the un but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The ungodly are like dead grass, not connected to the, to the ground, dried and withering, blowing away and ending in, in destruction. Can I just remind you of something? Stay intimately connected to the word. There are two things that you need to do with regard to the word. Subject yourself to it. The Holy Spirit will not lead you contrary to his word. It's interesting, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Why does it say that? Well, because there's always somebody that will come along and say, God told me when God didn't tell them. And so the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Subject yourself always to the word. You say, I think the Lord is leading me to do this. Verify it with the word. And then seek fellowship with your Lord. Seek nourishment every day with your Lord through the word. Are you staying connected to the word? Let's stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed.